Hi, I'm Noelle Moreau from LSU Health Sciences Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. And today I'm going to talk about an invited review paper, The Effects of Voluntary Exercise on Muscle Structure and Function in Cerebral Palsy with my co-author Richard Lieber from Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. Cerebral palsy results in a loss of muscle strength and bodily function, and although much of this is caused by injury to the central nervous system, muscle is a very plastic tissue that is also negatively affected. Both the active and passive properties of muscle are affected from the microscopic to macroscopic level, with examples depicted here. Now, the effects of voluntary exercise on muscle can be divided into two broad categories. One would be the effect of increasing muscle size through increasing fiber diameter or increasing sarcomeres in parallel. And second would be increasing fascicle or fiber length, which would indicate an increase in sarcomeres in series. Now these muscle architectural alterations would have effects on the length tension properties and the force velocity properties of muscle. At the whole muscle level, the length tension curve in figure 1A resembles an inverted parabola with an optimal length of which force is maximum and a range over which active force is generated. Now the active force range is going to be proportional to the length of the fibers within the muscle. So an increase in fiber length will have an increase in the functional range or range of motion. Now the force velocity relationship is depicted in figure 1B. Now when a muscle is allowed to shorten during a constant contraction, you can see that force decreases as velocity increases but you can also see the effect of an increase in fiber length here. So for any given velocity, the longer fiber muscle is capable of producing higher levels of force. So now let's look at the effects of voluntary exercise on muscle structure and function in children with cerebral palsy. So although all aspects of the ICF model are clearly important, this review focused on the effects of voluntary exercise interventions on muscle structure and muscle function with an emphasis on dosing of the interventions. So in this review, we only included voluntary exercise interventions for children with CP that measured some type of muscle morphological or architectural outcome. And this was in an effort to provide evidence for the link between muscle structure and muscle function. Now, what we found was that the majority of these interventions involve some type of resistance training, either in isolation or in combination with some other type of intervention or six of the eight studies. And these studies primarily targeted muscle strength, muscle power, or length deficits. So then what we did is we investigated the dosing parameters for each of the resistance training studies to see if they met each of the criteria for optimal dosing for resistance training based on whether they targeted muscle strength or muscle power. These dosing parameters are intensity, volume, speed, frequency, rest, and duration. Now, what we found were there were that there were six studies that measured muscle architectural changes after resistance training interventions, and all the studies met the dosing guidelines. Now, the two most important muscle architectural parameters that are targeted by resistance training interventions are muscle size and fiber or fascicle length. So let's start with muscle size. Three of the five studies that measured some type of muscle size measurement using MRI or ultrasound imaging resulted in significant increases in muscle size, and the muscle size increases were similar in magnitude to that observed in healthy adult muscle, ranging from 3% to approximately 10%. Now, the two studies that did not show gains or very minimal gains in muscle size were delivered primarily by parents in the home setting. 
which means the participants may not have received the intended dosage for intensity. And one of the studies was on the lower end of the guidelines. So I think this really speaks to the importance of adequate supervision and progression by a professional to maximize muscle plasticity. Targeting fascicle length is also important because an increase in fascicle length results in increase in force generation at any given shortening, shortening velocity as depicted here. So this study was the first study to compare high velocity or power training to low velocity training in cerebral palsy. We trained the knee extensors on an isokinetic dynamometer three times per week over eight weeks for 24 sessions. One group trained at higher concentric training velocities, while the other group trained at low concentric velocities. Now, our hypothesis was that training at high concentric velocities over a large excursion at the knee would stimulate an increase in fascicle length, which would improve muscle power generation and also alter the force velocity properties of the muscle. Now, what we observed was a significant increase in rectus femoris fascicle length in the velocity training group and a decrease in the strength training group. Now, the power velocity relationship depicted on the right illustrates that longer fiber muscles are capable of producing higher power at a faster velocity. So, indeed, we did see a significant correlation between the change in the extensor power and the change in rectus femoris fascicle length. We also observed a rightward shift in the torque angle curve with an increase in the angle of optimum torque production, which is also consistent with an increase in fascicle length. And finally, we observed significant increases in walking speed in all of our measures of functional mobility. And these changes were both clinically significant and statistically significant. Now, since then, others have published different types of power training interventions and have also shown changes on mobility. So although not the focus of the review, the evidence would suggest that the improvements in strength alone do not translate into improvements in walking, gross motor function, or participation. However, newer evidence suggests that power training can improve walking capacity, performance, functional activities, and participation, and may be a key ingredient for doing so. So I'd like to end with a few key points for you to maximize muscle plasticity and function. First, specificity of training principles should be incorporated into clinical practice because we see certain structural adaptations resulting from specific modes of training. Two, adherence to the recommended optimal dosing guidelines or is, is essential in order to produce the muscle adaptations shown here that have functional implications for our patients. And finally, rehabilitation interventions can have classic effects on underlying muscle architecture and can alter the force velocity properties of muscle, although the specific underlying stimuli are not quite yet fully understood. Thank you very much.